0: For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com.
1: This episode
0: is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
1: In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself... What is it you want? Discover Williamsburg
2: and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is a good, good friend of mine. His name is Weston. Now, Weston is big into fishing. He's big into archery hunting. And he just went on one of the more epic bear hunts that I've ever heard. Like, it was insane when I saw the pictures, when I got the videos and heard the stories it blew my mind and it immediately worked its way to probably top five bucket list items out there. And I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. I mean, there is so much adventure and even without like actually hunting a bear, I would pay money to go and do the trip that he had. Even if it meant like I didn't bring a bow, I wasn't pursuing a certain animal, just the adventure of getting to the spot where he was hunting sounds amazing. And I would try to get a whole group of guys to go and do it just for that. So um, he got to hunt in Canada and it was way Western Canada. So although this isn't like Western is in like Rocky Mountain, US Western, this is Western Canada. It's also a trip that a lot of people could do really. I mean, it's going to take a little bit more planning. Obviously the travels a little more complicated, but This is an opportunity that a lot of people in the U.S. have to go and do, and they had people from their group that were from multiple states, I mean, all over the place. And so I'm pumped for you guys to listen. Let's jump into this. Here we go. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different
1: up there. I've harvested 26
0: big game animals.
1: You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300
2: yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way.
0: It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody
1: I want in the woods with me, it'll be you.
0: All
2: right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show is a good buddy of mine his name is weston marsh and weston and i although we i mean dude we haven't really got to do a lot of hunting or fishing together but i feel like we're basically hunting and fishing buddies because we're constantly calling each other with awesome stories sharing how our hunts or fishing trips have gone um but dude thanks for hopping on with me
1: no man i'm glad to be on i appreciate you thinking of me
2: yeah the the whole topic of conversation today is going to be about a recent hunt that you did but before we jump into all the details of that why don't you share with the listeners maybe they haven't heard the nomadic outdoorsman episodes that you've been on um but why don't you share with them a little bit about yourself kind of how you got into the outdoor space
1: sure so i um have been hunting and fishing uh pretty much my entire life. Um, I started, started deer hunting when I was in my early teens, um, originally grew up in Southeast Michigan. Um, so obviously, uh, chasing whitetails was kind of second nature to me. Um, but grew up, grew up hunting in Southeast Michigan during the summer. And then we, we chased deer the remaining portion of the year, basically, uh, and did that for a long time. Um, I ended up, going to school and uh, I went to college in Florida Southeastern University and um, skip skip ahead you know 10 years from when I left I uh, graduated college I'm actually working there now yet again uh, so me and my family have transitioned down to central Florida uh, to where I'm the uh, their new head coach of their bass fishing team Um, And so I get the the awesome privilege to be able to travel the country with college students um, and coach bass fishing. Um, So it's just been an incredible ride. Uh, It's been a dream and a passion of mine to work in higher ed for a long time. Um, And now I get to do that and uh, do what I love doing, and that's bass fishing. but uh, here recently, uh, as far as my hunting is concerned, I've had some really great opportunities just through great connections with a lot of old friends and new friends um, to, to be able to get on some great whitetail hunts, um, but uh, more specifically, this most recent uh, bear hunt.
2: Dude, That I mean, great hunts, I feel like, is an extreme understatement. As we go into this story, because when you called me and sent me pictures, I was like, "You got to be kidding me! This is unbelievable." The fact that you got to go up to a bear hunt in Canada and you got to do it with your bow—that's like, that's a that's a top tier bucket list hunt for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, it was really weird on how it all kind of came together um, when we transitioned back to Central Florida here you know back in october um you know reconnected with uh one of the executives that actually works at the university that i started working for that i'm coaching at um and we got breakfast one morning and it was just super random you know he said hey man um you know would, would you would you be interested in going on a bear hunt with me and i said well yeah i said where where's that what's the details and he said we're heading up to um and and going on a on a bear a black bear hunt up there, um, and you can you can shoot them with a rifle or a bow. And with me being pretty much a strictly strictly a bow hunting guy, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm definitely in. I've always always dreamed about being able to to shoot a bear with my bow. Um, and so here was my opportunity, and I just just couldn't let it slip through my fingertips. Dude, that. That's
2: like the greatest breakfast story I've ever heard. Not <laughs> yeah. often do I hear breakfast stories that end in, and then I went to Canada with my boat to shoot some bears.
1: Yeah. It all happened so quickly. Um, you know, he, he pitched the offer to me. Um, and then it was just about a month later we were on a plane flying to Canada. Um, and so it, it, scrambling around, uh, trying to, you know, a month seems like a long time, but when you're getting a seven day bear hunt trip in, Albra- in the, in the absolute bush, I mean, we were, we were in the middle of nowhere, um, for seven days, um, uh, hunting these bear, um, it felt pretty rushed on getting everything together, um, and making sure everything was, uh, all the eyes were dotted and the keys were crossed in order to make it happen, um, So from offer to, to landing in Alberta, it was just about a month timeframe. But it was pretty wild as well.
2: Dude, it's cool when things like that pop up because it's like, yes, you have to wait a month can seem like a really long time. Like when you've been waiting all year for deer season to start and you're like, dude, we're still a month out. It seems like a while, but when it springs up out of nowhere and you're like, dude, I'm going to be gone for seven days not even like just traveling a couple states away, but out of country and in the middle of nowhere, that's a whole different level of adventure. And I know this, this podcast is the Western rookie, but it doesn't even have to be out West necessarily. I think it should be more like the traveling rookie. Uh, when yeah. you travel to hunt and you can experience new hunts like that, um, to to share opportunities or share experiences with other people, so that they realize the opportunities that are out there for them to, to do in the outdoors. Uh, that's what it's all about. So we're going to dive into a lot of details and for starters, was this your first out of, or yeah, like international hunt that you went on?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was my first international hunt. Um, and then, you know, on, on top of, on top of it, just being an international hunt, um, you know, Canada, is is still pretty hot and heavy covid precautions are concerned um and so uh, amongst the all the gear and, and stuff that i had to get together in that month time frame there was a ton of paperwork that i had to get filled out and submitted and approved and and things of that nature um from a traveling standpoint um and governmental standpoint um, as far as being able to make, make the thing happen in such short notice as well. Um, so there was a lot of, with it being my first international hunt, um, there was a lot of, a lot of, a huge learning curve. I'll say that.
2: Yeah. Did you have, did you have any like hesitation going into an international hunt? I mean, surely it's a lot more like daunting or what, what's the word I'm looking for? intimidating maybe uh thinking about oh man i've, I've got to go out of the country what does that look like even though you didn't bring a rifle like what does that look like for a bow can you just send a bow on an airplane with or like check it in
1: yeah go, yeah or so is there additional paperwork it, involved yeah it was kind of crazy um yeah obviously i didn't really know what to expect um and so just i did a ton of research online to see what it was going to look like Um, you know, last thing I wanted to do was show up to the airport, um, and not have all everything done that I needed to have done, or for some reason something go awry and I couldn't get, get my boat up there to, to Canada. But honestly, man, um, it went really smooth. Um, no reason to be, uh, intimidated or, or stress about it. Um, you know. I checked I checked my bow just like I did any other bag. Um I got kind of nervous at first though because I walked up and I had a few other bags with me to check and I threw my bow case up there and then all the questions started flying on what is it, what's in it, you know, down to the type of broadhead that I was that I had in my bow case. Um, which i thought was which i thought was a pretty interesting question on on what type of broadheads i was i was carrying with me and who was Um, this
2: was this the airport (laughs) people
1: yeah this is the this is the gal who who checks your bags and gives you your boarding pass and all that um which i which was probably the most ironic you know question coming from from somebody like that um i not going to stereotype anybody but i would venture to guess that she was probably reading off a prompt that she had no idea what the difference between a mechanical or fixed blade broadhead um, was but nevertheless um, she asked me that question
2: what you're going to realize is all of a sudden she's going to pop up on like youtube or on the outdoor channel and you're like holy crap this chick is like a ba hunter I'm I'm over here just joking around, or like thinking she doesn't know what she's talking about, and it turns out she's a stone cold killer.
1: Yeah, the the part that kind of gave it away though (laughs) was the first question she asked me was what's in it, and I said it was a a a hunting bow, and she said so it like shoots arrows, and I was like okay, yeah, now now I know what kind of the caliber of person that we're dealing with here. So when she asked me the broadhead question after that. I was like, that has to be off a prompted question.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if she said, okay, the ones that shoot arrows, I yeah, <laughs> I'm just gonna go back and edit it out. My previous statement of her actually being on the hunting
1: <laughs> show. yeah. So, anyways, that was the 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 travel process. I was honestly what I was most nervous about was getting hung up in Canada, um, because the they're the uh border control there in canada is much more uh i guess specific i guess is the best word um than what we experienced coming back through customs in uh coming back into the u.s and so i was just really nervous that i would get everything to canada but for some reason i would get hung up and it's Anything that could have possibly i don't want to necessarily go wrong, but that could have made me feel like it was going wrong happened there was a group of five of us that went um and we all kind of flew the same route getting there um we weren't necessarily in the same planes but we we flew the same the same route um and I was the only one out of the five who always got selected for like pat downs x-rays of all the bags like it it was just uh it was st- stressful when we got to canada to say the least they were pulling yeah. my bags apart i took my bow completely out of the case went through all my arrows went through all my broadhead cases and all of that i was just waiting them for them to be like yeah we don't allow we don't allow this to to come in or we can't allow you to use this or whatever and so that was definitely the the largest fear um but amongst all the searches and all the requirements and all that jazz we we were able to make it Um, and it wasn't uh, nearly as bad as what what I thought it was going to be
2: well that's good dude there's nothing more stressful than getting like the extra search or pat down or bag checks I remember this has nothing to do with hunting but I went through the Denver airport and I don't remember if we were just moving out there or if we were just moving back it was somewhere around that time frame that I spent out there and i my wife gets pulled uh one of her bags gets pulled and flagged and so she like gets she steps to the side they do the whole check for her and then they were like are you flying alone and she's like no my husband and so they're like all right sir can you just come over here they do an additional check of mine um and it wasn't even like a they didn't, like, empty it out. I think they opened it up and swabbed the inside of it. And they've got, like, this little sheet of paper. They slide into the machine. And then it, that machine just started going nuts. Like, beep, 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 beep. And the guy, the TSA agent just looks at me, and he goes, you have got to be shitting me. And I'm like, uh, what's going on? And he goes, dude, your bag just tested positive for explosive chemicals. Oh my god. And I started laughing. And it wasn't very long because I realized pretty quickly, like, dude, I'm an idiot. Don't laugh in this situation. Um but yeah, I just started laughing. I'm like, dude, are you serious? And he's like, <laughs> I am completely serious. Like, you need to step over here right now. And so I like stepped to the side. They emptied out my entire bag, swabbed my hands, did a full pat down, like like uh ran the wand around my legs and my arms and everything. And then they just like set my stuff aside and said, all right, you're good to go. And I was like, oh, wow, that actually was pretty chill compared to what I would think for testing positive for explosive chemicals. Right. And I joked with my wife afterwards. I was like, imagine being the dude behind us in line who ends up seeing me on his flight and how freaked out he would be, you know, yeah. <laughs> you someone get pulled aside for that. And then they're sitting in your, the same row as you. Sure. Um, but anyways, back to hunting. That was, I, I, I go off on side stories like that quite a bit. So
1: just yeah, no, it. it's coming, coming up, I, I mean that I don't, not to hate on it, the U S customs. I appreciate the lack of concern, I guess, cause it just speeds the process up, I guess. But I flew up there, I went through security and TSA in, um, in Tampa because uh, I had a, I flew from Tampa into LAX and then from LAX to Canada, um, and so I, I checked everything in in Tampa, and I, I didn't even think about it until actually um, when we were leaving out of LAX to fly up to Canada. Um, but I went through TSA in Tampa with a yeti. I had a yeti um, uh, tumbler with me. I had a screw-on lid. Um, and I had, it was halfway full of water I had half, half, half the thing was full of liquid. Um, and they let that thing through, didn't question it. And then I also had my, my bow hanger, my screw in bow hanger, um, in my backpack, my carry on, cause I couldn't fit it in my other bag. And so I just stuck it in there. And if anybody who knows what that looks like, I mean, that has a huge sharp, you know, threaded tip on the one end of it.
2: Oh, imagine um, like the most gruesome prison shank that you could make exactly That's what it is
1: exactly and that didn't get flagged i mean i went through with flying colors uh, no in tampa way. but um every single one of my connecting flights coming home um i got yanked to the side and they pulled that thing out and we're like what is this and i had to tell them what it was and then they had to go find a manager get supervisor come over to look at it and asked me again what it was, what the function was, and all that. And I had a lot of connecting flights coming back. Luckily, going up there, I didn't. And by the third third time, I was like, you know what? If it's going to be that big of a deal, y'all can just keep it. Like, just throw it in the trash, because I'll I'll buy a new one when I get back. Because this is this is ridiculous. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was funny to see what I was able to get away with going there, and and how strict it was coming back yeah
2: dang man that losing stuff in the airport line sucks and i can yeah. only imagine how stressful it is traveling internationally i think the only thing i've had to give up in line at the airport which is a bummer i i bought a matthews bow and with it i got a little folding pocket knife but i was like man this is a perfect little pocket knife it fit on my key ring like i could bring it anywhere and I checked it in my baggage on the way up to Alaska, but on the way back, I totally forgot that it was in my pocket and I ended up having to give it up. I'm like, well, it was just a free deal that I got with my bow, but at the same time, I really liked that knife. So it sucked. Yeah.
1: I can't tell you how many knives I've donated to the airport. Um, you know, I always have my knife is always in my pocket no matter what, what I'm doing, where I'm at. And there's been so many times where you just totally forget about it that it's there, and next thing you know, you're standing there at security, and you got to throw a knife in the trash can in order to make your flight.
2: That's got to be the number one item that they for sure that they collect. I mean, yeah, dude, if yeah, I was absolutely. TSH, and I'd have the sickest knife collection you've ever seen.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy.
2: So once you got into Canada, I mean, I guess walk me through how much of this was like, It obviously it had to all be orchestrated before you guys got up there. But like, was there a shuttle service? Somebody came and picked you up from the airport, drove you to your final destination? How did that all go?
1: Yeah, so when we landed in Canada, um, the guide that we were going through um, picked us up from the airport um, and we we got out of the airport and we met um, we met another guy actually um about 30 minutes down the road and we transferred all of our gear into his truck. Um and we then from there we had almost a four hour drive um up to northern Alberta. You know, we're I think we were only like three hours from Alaska when we finally made it to camp. Um but anyways, we had a we had a four hour drive. Um which I would say probably at least the last hour and a half of that drive. I don't think I saw one, one building or one house um, in that last hour and a half. That's that's just how far out into the bush we ended up going. That's awesome. Um, and then it was just random. We pulled off on this dirt road, off, off this paved road, and there was a bunch of guys sitting there with quads in side-by-sides waiting for us. Um, and we, we pulled off there and transferred all of our gear from the trucks into these quads and side-by-sides. And, uh, I asked one of the guys, the guides who were there, there was about five or six of them. And I said, so how far do we got to go on these? And he said, oh, it's probably going to be about, uh, about an hour and a half. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, depending on how bad the road is, um, it'll probably be around an hour and a half and i think it ended up taking us about an hour and 45 minutes to get from where we d- dumped everything out of the trucks to making it to camp um, so after after not seeing a house on the actual drive for the last hour and a half we continued on and went another hour and 45 minutes further into the bush on on quads to make it to camp
2: dude i know you're into the outdoors what did that feel like because In my mind, that place sounds like heaven on earth, being that far away from civilization and just like being in the middle of nowhere. That's my dream hunt is just being back in the middle of nowhere. Mine is for moose, but still to be in the middle of Canada, like that sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Um, you know, also in that last, once we got away from civilization, you know, the wildlife just kind of came to life all over the place. Um, you know, any open grass field or, or, um, ag fields, they had a lot of ag fields up there too. Um, you know, just had, there was tons of deer, mule deer. Uh, we saw a moose on the drive up there just hanging out in the middle of the ag field. Um, so it was just, it was incredible um it's an absolutely beautiful place i had been to canada a few times not hunting um but uh more so on the eastern side of canada uh toward this time we were further west um but it was it was beautiful um you know i had my binos out the whole time in the back seat and i just glassed these fields as we were driving up checking out everything um which made the trip go by a little bit quicker um, but the quad riding was was pretty wild. We got we got to the quads on the truck ride just before the sun started going down. So um we had about thirty minutes or so, forty minutes of the quad ride was had some daylight left, but then the remaining hour or a little over an hour was in the dark. Um, and it was crazy. The road the road was so rural. I mean, it was a dirt road, but there was a couple places to where the water was up so high, um, that, uh, the water level on the quad was just below or up to the seat. Um, Dang. so I would say about 75% of the quad was underwater. So these
2: all had um, snorkels on them, like yep. outfitted for crossing. Oh yeah. 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 They were,
1: they were borderline boats the way they had them, they had them set up. And so it was, it was pretty wild getting back in there. Um, but uh hour and forty-five minute ride on a quad, man, it felt like forever. And I love that kind of stuff, but I'm not gonna lie to you. By the end of it, I was like, Oh boy, I'm I'm ready to ready to be a camp.
2: <laughs> Dude, see, I w- I think I would pay to go and do a trip like that just to do a quad ride for a week yeah. straight like that. That sounds yeah. like fun. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool.
1: Wait,
2: I mean, did you know about the quad ride and everything leading up to it? Were you dressed for it so that like You know, you didn't have your hunting boots on that were going to get soaked
1: with water. Yeah, not really. You know, they told us that we would have a quad ride into camp, but they definitely did not tell us that we would be crossing like what I would consider to be a shallow pond uh, in some areas to be able to get into camp. And so when we, when we started unloading our gear, uh, you know, I had my, I had my work boots on, my leather boots and jeans and a sweatshirt and i said you are your rubber boots relatively close because they did tell us to bring some knee-high you know rubber hunting boots and i said yeah they're in my pack and so everybody dug all out some of their gear and kind of changed real quick before we we started the quad ride in but i definitely was not warm enough that was for sure um the temperature up there, you know, as soon as the sun started to hit the trees, it just started dropping drastically. I mean, we had, we experienced temperature swings <clears throat> up to almost 35 degrees um, on some of those days from, from middle of the day to to night. Um, and so it got, it got pretty chilly. Um, so yeah, I, I wish I would have had a little bit more clothing on. And two, they, when they said quad ride, I, I don't know, I guess I just assumed that we would all be riding our own quads. Um, but the initial ride in, in order to have enough manpower, we actually had to double up and ride with uh with a guide in. And so some of us were, were on the back of a quad oh, uh, no. for the hour and forty five minutes, which made which made it pretty interesting as well. There's nothing nothing more humbling than jumping on and straddling another man for an hour and forty five minutes that you just met five minutes ago. Um that kind of you guys become best friends in that hour and forty-five <laughs> minutes before you make it to camp.
2: That uh, that that just gets you and your guide bonded right off the That's bat. That's right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were we were close almost immediately.
2: I'm just picturing you for an hour and forty-five minutes being like Harry and Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber, just Yeah. We freezing,
1: you know, we like, referenced that scene multiple times <laughs> um, on that trip. Yeah, yeah, it was funny.
2: That's awesome. So what so i mean you you just keep getting farther and farther into the wilds of canada
1: what was it like when you got to camp so when we rolled into camp um so they had a like home base was a a, a trapper's cabin that was back there um way back in the bush obviously and it but it was set up right on the edge of a lake um and so it was the the scenery was just gorgeous they had a a huge dock that went out onto the lake and so we could fish the lake when we were hanging out. Um, so they had the trapper's cabin there and then we stayed in, we stayed in, in big bell tents. They had, you know, they had subfloor put down that they built up for the, in the base of these tents and uh, they had really nice cots set up for us with, um, with uh, like memory foam pads on top of them. Um, and then we had a wood, bur- a wood burning uh, stove in there for heat. Um, And it was great, man. It was incredible. Uh, Super, super uh, cozy. We stayed nice and warm. I mean, uh, I think the coldest night that we experienced was 26 degrees, I think. Um, So when you think about a tent at 26 degrees, it gets pretty chilly. But um, I slept, I I think there was only one night where I actually slept inside my sleeping bag. Um, That's how warm we were able to keep it inside the bell tent with uh, with the wood furnace. Um, but it was just, it was just three tents for us to stay in. Um, and then they had the trapper's cabin there in which they made, they prepared all of our meals for us, provided all the food and, um, kept a lot of the gear in, in the trapper's cabin there. Um, and that was basically it. I mean, that was all that was there and no power, no running water. We, we had to fetch all the water out of the lake. Um, boil it all in stove for hot water, coffee, things of that nature. But they took care of all that for us. We I mean we just kinda hung out and, and did our own thing.
2: Nice. I love I love those wall tents, man. I got to stay in them let's see, I stayed a couple of years in them actually out at Elk Camp and I'm hoping to get my own this year. But um yeah dude there's nothing like the wood stove heat after a cold day of hunting or even in the morning when you wake up and you just stoke it a little bit before you get dressed you warm your clothes up around it um I, have you ever experienced anything even similar to this or is is all of your hunting and outdoor experiences been completely different
1: yeah i'd never never on a travel hunt like that i've never experienced it in, in such a rural condition i guess um at which i absolutely loved um i love the the feeling of both camping and and hunting at the same time um, you know a lot of my travel trips are either at a lodge or something like that especially when we are on a guided who hunt um, so this was this was much different <coughs> than what i've experienced in the past but uh, it made it even more unique um, with it being ended up being the way that it did
2: nice Be, before we get into the hunt itself like once you actually started going out and trying to shoot a bear let's talk about the preparation a little bit. Like as far as your bow goes, did you have to switch up broadhead arrow weight, anything like that? Um, Or did you basically keep it the same as what you had it set up for, for whitetail?
1: Yeah, no, I, I was able to, um, it was time for me to upgrade a few things anyways, um, on my bow setup that I just kind of been prolonging, uh, for the past, you know, two seasons. And so, this was the the great excuse for me to be able to bite the bullet on all those um and so I, I i did do make a few adjustments to my to my bow itself um but the biggest the biggest uh changes that i made were in my arrow setup for sure um i ended up going with uh the Easton access arrows um and really really liked them um they performed so well um I shot a I shot the Rage High, which I've been a Rage guy for a long time, um, and I didn't really want to veer from that just because I've had such good success with them in the past. Um, you know, every whenever you think large game, especially a bear, you know, uh, fixed blade broadhead is is you know what most guys would swear by on that type of a kill. Um, and so I did get a little flack or raise a little eyebrows when I said I was going to shoot with a rage hypodermic, but man, I tell you it, um, it did the job and, and then I was, I was super, super pleased, uh, with the outcome, but I was shooting a 500 grain, uh, Easton axis when it was all said and done, uh, 125, 125 grain, uh, hypodermic.
2: Nice. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing that I'm always curious about. Like when I I want to go out and do a new hunt with my bow, I'm like, man, do what do I need to change? Because I've shot bows my whole life, but I haven't really deviated from my normal. You know, I'll shoot yeah. the same general weight arrow. I think I've got like a 340 spawn. I want to say it's a 340 on all my arrows right now. I want to say that's all I've ever shot. And then I'm typically shooting 100 to 125 grain broadheads and i just i hear about people going and shooting like a moose and there's like the weighted collars that you can screw in right behind your broadhead yeah just to give it more energy when it gets to the target um but i'm just like dude what all do you have to do that for i mean is it a similar setup for elk or basically is everything the same up until you get to moose um, sure. so anyways that's that's good to know that you didn't have to change up a whole lot you just made some upgrades that you wanted to make anyways and now is the time to do it
1: yeah yeah it worked out great i worked really close with my bow tech here in uh, central florida um, at the at a local bow shop here um, and he was super knowledgeable um, was was very helpful i mean i knew ex- pretty much exactly how i wanted it to turn out but he kind of helped me pick the best route in order to make it happen. Um, So I actually, with my draw length being so long, I can get away with a a little bit stiffer of a shaft. So I I shoot a 300 grain uh, access arrow um, in which I had a 50 grain insert um, and then a 50 grain collar and then a 125 grain tip, um, which was pretty, pretty beefy. Um, So, but the nice thing... I was able to do my arrow, arrow shaft and insert setup um, to where I can easily switch that back to to whitetail, um, with just changing out my getting rid of that collar and uh, getting, swapping back to a hundred grain uh, broadhead tip. Um, so I, I didn't want to invest all that money into new arrow setup, especially the cost of arrows these days on just specifically going out to shoot shoot these bear, um, I wanted to be able to make an investment to where I can c- continue to use them on, on, on my white tail setup as well.
2: Now, I mean, with, with the minor adjustments that you made on that, did you know roughly what range to be practicing at, uh, before you went up on the hunt?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The guides told us that, um, we are, they would guarantee shots within 12 or within 20 yards um Dang. and so i was like wow that's uh that's pretty close um and so i knew you know if if it was going to be at least 20 yards that you know with the setup that i had was going to be a no problem um so laying out that expectation definitely definitely helped a lot as well
2: yeah so you weren't having to shoot from any crazy angles or or you know try to take stabs out at 70 like 20 yards is a pretty comfortable range for i would say just about any archer out there
1: yeah yeah 20 yards you know when they said guaranteed within 20 yards i was like okay well if if the bear does come into that range then you know it's it's a done deal um and you know the nice thing about shooting those axis arrows you know i i shoot the four millimeter shaft so they're, they're they're basically shooting a pencil i mean they're so so thin um that they carry carry long range very very well as well and so i knew if i was going to have to stretch out a little further than what they had originally uh said that we were going to have to that i would be just fine
2: nice uh let's let's jump into the actual hunt now because i'm excited to hear it again and (laughs) there's probably details that in the excitement you didn't even get to all of them um walk me through what it was like the first time you were out in the middle of nowhere around bears like as far from civilization as you've ever been
1: yeah so the the very first sit um, we hunted in the evenings so we would we would leave camp about four o'clock in the afternoon um, in which most of us had I would say about an hour ride was the shortest from camp to the, the closest, uh, bait location. Um, and so the very first night, um, the guide was like, Hey, um, you might want to put as much rain gear on as you can, um, just for this trip. And I said, well, are we supposed to experience some some rain? He said, no, he said, um, we're, we're going to cross a lake. Um, in the quad to get to get to this bait location (laughs) and i said like a lake like what are we talking like worse than the right end and he said oh yeah yeah much much worse (laughs) um and so i was like oh my goodness and so we we took all my all of our gear they wrapped them in like two or three trash bags um, and then we strapped them down to the quads and we took off um And we got to this lake, and and it was for sure a lake. I mean, I would say it was at least – I mean, the area that we crossed was probably 150 yards um, across, and it was just nothing but water. I was like, there's no way that we are getting to the other side of this thing without (laughs) this four-wheeler going, tipping over or sinking. Um, But we did it. Um, We made it across. I mean, we were definitely floating a few times, um, but we got to the other side um, and there was a, a few times even after we made it across the lake portion of it that we got stuck a few times and all the four wheelers had winches on them. So we had to pull the winch out, hook it to a tree, pull the four wheeler out. And we, I think that, I think we got stuck three or four times just getting to the bait location the very first night
2: oh my gosh i'm I'm um, picturing this in my mind
1: and <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm, I'm thinking like you and this guy are just cruising on the four-wheeler underwater uh I mean, if you had to guess how deep was that lake where you cross?
1: Yeah, I would say at the deepest location, it was probably just under my chest, mid center mass, probably and I'm six foot two. <laughs> um so it was yeah it was at the deepest part yeah i mean there was it was kind of it was wild i mean it was up over the seat the water was up over the seat for sure the guy basically was sitting up on the front rack almost and i was right there almost on top of the windshield um in order to to keep the thing from rolling and wanting to to flip over <laughs> so oh it was pretty gosh pretty wild and that was that was right off the rip that was hunt number one just getting to the first location um so we finally make it to the bait location and um i didn't even notice this until (laughs) until we got there and we were about ready we were unloading the gear and there was a huge chunk missing out of the foam seat of this guy's quad and i was like what what the heck happened there? And He said, "Oh, that's that's from the bear." And he said, "the The bear will smell the the bait that they strap to the fo- to the quads, and they'll come come check out the quads, and and they love to tear tear the foam seats up." And so the chunk that was out of the quad seat was from a bear taking a bite of the seat. And I was like, "Okay, that just like kind of took us to a whole another level." when I'm looking at this quad seat and there's a <laughs> hole that I could stick my fist inside of just from the bear sniffing around for for the bait. Um oh and goodness. so I, immediately my heart started pumping. I'm like, this is this is unreal. I'll never experienced anything like this before. Unload all the gear and typically all of their hunts are from a tree stand. Um but I don't know from from the day I got the invite I just always had dreamed about that kill being from the ground um and so i asked the guide i said hey can i can we do this from the ground i I would have preferred to sit on the ground if at all possible and he said yeah we, we can make that happen and so we walk up to the bait location and he he rebates um the area which they they use uh beaver carcasses so they they go out and buy a huge large amount of Beaver carcasses from trappers, um, you know, a couple weeks prior to the hunts taking place. And that's what they they hang on the tree there, and then they've got a barrel that they fill full of all kinds of sweets, you know, expired cookie dough, old Halloween candy, that kind of stuff that goes into, into the 55 gallon barrel. So, anyways, he sets me up and he goes and baits it and takes the full quad a little ways back out so the bear didn't mess with his quad. And then we just kind of take some deadfall and start propping it up and making a little makeshift ground blind there about, I would say we're about 15 yards, 12, 20 yards away from the bait. Um, And we were sitting in, sitting in lawn chairs (laughs) on the ground inside this, uh, inside this makeshift blind that we made. And I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever experienced. Um, And we sat there for, I would say we probably got to the, the the actual end of the chair about 530 or so. Um, and I didn't end up seeing, we didn't see our first bear that night until, I think it was about eight o'clock. And so the anticipation was just driving me crazy. Um, and we had a, bit of small, a smaller black bear come in, which I was glad that I had the guide with me the first night because um you know that was the first live bear that i've seen on the ground in the wild in my entire life and it looked gigantic i mean i was like oh my gosh that thing is huge and he's like oh no that's that's one of the smaller ones and i'm like what and so he came in and fed at the bait for a little while which was awesome i was able to get a walk back out he probably walked i would say within seven yards of my, of my chair um, and just walked right by us. Um, he knew we were there. He, he'd seen us a few times, but did not care and just walked right by us and he walked off into the woods and never saw him after that. Um, and so it was just it was incredible to see him so close. I mean, within seven yards it was just unbelievable. Dude. Um, but they, we picked that location because I told them that I would have I was really like to shoot a, a brown they you know they have they have some phase color bears up there um, and so they said well there's we've had a phase color on this bait on camera um, over the past couple of weeks and so you might you might be lucky enough to run into them And so we chose that location for that reason and about nine o'clock at night um, that phase color ended up coming back to the bait um he was really skittish um just would come in and then he, when he knew that we were there he'd kind of back out a little bit and circle around and come back in and, and feed a little bit more and it probably took about it was almost 30 minutes of him just kind of toying with us a little bit before he presented a, a good broadside shot um and i was able to i was able to shoot him um and i shot him at 12 yards on the ground from the lawn chair <laughs> dang dude yeah yeah it was pretty pretty wild um it was put a great shot on him complete pass through with the rage um and he went 10 yards and and he and that was where he died he only made it 10 yards um <clears throat> so which was great because i didn't other thing I didn't think about on this hunt was, um, packing or, you know, getting the bear out of the bush and back to camp. Yeah. Um, there's no like, other than the trails that, that the guides have made to get to the bait locations. I mean, it's just wilderness out there. Um, and so I was super fortunate that he only went 10 yards because we could back the four wheeler right up to it, um, and get him back on the back of the four wheeler to get him
2: out of there dude like well and one thing you don't really think about i mean obviously 20 yards you're hoping a good shot means they die quickly they don't go very far but imagine making that shot the excitement the adrenaline of it but if it goes out of sight at all before it dies like you're tracking a wounded bear through the woods. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a different and level of adrenaline.
1: The the wolf population up there this year has been pretty stout as well from what the, the guides were telling us. So that was another thing I was thinking in the back of my head too was like, man, if we shoot shoot this bear and we're tracking it in the dark, um, you know, the I was I guess I was a little bit more concerned about the wolves than I were than I was the bear. Um but uh, never had any encounter with a wolf while I was tracking. But I did see a wolf while I was there, sitting sitting in the second night while I was sitting in a in a different location.
2: Dang! So first night you get the bear. What what was that like? Then did you have to go cross that lake again? But now with a yeah. bear on the four wheeler. Yeah.
1: Yep. So it was sketchy enough with just the two of us on the way in. But on the way out, we had a we then we had a 300 pound phase color bear uh, strap to the back of the quad as well, um, in which we got stuck probably five or six times before we even made it to the lake. Going back out with the added bear weight, um, so I was so, like, "We are so you guys sure were enough.
2: you were all on one four wheeler."
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a 300 pound bear. Um, I sat on top of the bear. Um, and then, yeah. And then the, the guide who was with me was on the quad as well. not to mention the chairs that we brought out, my bow, my pack, um, and, and, and whatever the guide brought with him was also on the four wheeler as well.
2: Dude, I want to know <coughs> what kind of four wheelers they have. Cause I need to buy yeah.
1: one of those. They sound yeah. pretty stout. He was running a, it was a Yamaha, um, is is the one that he had um and it dude i'm telling you it was impressive i mean uh, i was 100 percent certain that we were going to have to call somebody and they were going to have to bring a side-by-side out to get get us out of there but <laughs> we did it we got it out of there um and and got it back to camp which was just it was which was an experience in itself um mm-hmm. but yeah it was it was incredible Uh, first night, first sit, I was able to, to shoot and kill the, my face color bear that I really wanted to get.
2: So you get that bear, you get back to camp. Then, I mean, was the intention the whole time that you were going to be able to shoot two bears or was it like, dude, I've got a whole week. I don't want to sit around and do nothing. I'd like to shoot another bear.
1: Yeah, they told us that we would have the opportunity to shoot two bears if that's what we wanted to. The second bear would be an additional cost. But I didn't know like if we start out with two tags or if we shot our first one and said, hey, we want to shoot another one, that they'd have to go get us another one, and it would be somewhat time-consuming. But um, they had two tags for us there ready to go. Um, and so after I shot my face color the first night, um, they said, well, do you, do you want to shoot, try to shoot another phase or do you want to try to shoot a black? And I said, well, I'd, I'd love to shoot a, a big black if I can. And I said, "You know, obviously I've got plenty of time to try to make that happen. Um, cause I've, at this point I've got six days left to be able to try to put it together. Um, and so they said, well, we've got another different location this time that we've had a really big black on camera but no one, you know, uh out of the past 2 weeks of other hunters being up there. You know, uh in in the daylight one time. But he's probably they told me he was probably the largest black that they've seen yet that season. dang And so I said, "Yeah, that sounds good. I'll, you know, if I don't see him for a couple days or whatever, it's fine. I've already shot my face color and we'll go from there." And so the second night, um, the quad ride in was well, you know, a little over an hour, but, um, I did not, my guide didn't tell me this until we got relatively close to the spot. He said, um, you're probably going to have to hike about a mile back towards camp from here, um, in order to get cell reception. And on this second night hunt, I was sitting by myself. The guide was not going to be with me. Uh, first night, I had the guide that sat with me. Um, so I was going to be an hour, about an hour and 15 minutes away from camp. And then I had cell phone reception um, from where I was sitting the second night. So, so that made it even more interesting.
2: So was the plan just that he was going to be back at a certain time to get you and yep. if you needed something, if it was an emergency, you had to hike a mile.
1: That's right. Yeah. Okay. He said, I'll be, I'll be back here, you know, at this time to get you, um, if something goes awry or you shoot one, um, yeah, you need to pack up all your gear, hike a mile back towards camp until you get seller service. And, and then either call me or text me and let me know. Um, and I was like, okay, sounds good. And <laughs> sure, so I, man. I had, Yeah. Yep. Whatever, whatever. And so again, at this location, uh, I had to build another another makeshift blind just out of some dead wood there that was laying around and um, <clears throat> I had a pretty quick end of that hunt. I hadn't even been in in the into the hunt an hour before I had some bear activity um small a couple of small black bears had showed up um but they showed me a picture a camera picture of target bear um and he had some pretty distinct features he had a scar on the right hand side of his face and he had a really de- defined crease kind of between his ears down to his nose um and so they said you know if, if you if you need some other identifiers to be able to identify that that's the right bear you know, you can look for those those things yeah and so i had two two smaller bears come in um did not have a scar and did not have a crease, but uh, they were still fairly decent sized black bears. Um, And then almost, they were sitting there at the, at the bait, just kind of feeding. um, And then they both looked up and kind of to my left, they were looking down towards uh, the quad path to my left there. And so I just kind of turned and looked and right there to my left about six or five yards away from me was another phase color bear did not hear him come in he he used the quad path to come into the bait and so the quad path is basically just kind of turned turned up sand um and so he could he walked right in and I had no idea was even there I was watching the the black bears at the at the bait and just turned and looked and about you know a couple Couple of yards away from me, he was just sitting right there, which was kind of freaky. Jeez, man! Um, yeah, like so he
2: to think an animal that size can be that quiet, moving through the woods.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. It was and absolutely amazing.
2: I'm guessing. I'm guessing they like went over like bear safety and all of that, but most of those bears are so used to getting easy food that they hardly hunt anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. He told they told us from the beginning that the younger bears um, who frequent the bait more often, um, will not care that we're there. Um, the, the, one of the guides would told us a story. Uh, he came back one night actually from pulling cards from a couple of bait locations and was rebaiting, uh, those locations as well. And the younger bears will actually come up to the quad while he's trying to get the bait off the quad and try to eat eat the bait while he's standing right there. Uh he oh, said gosh. he's actually like had to grab like sticks and hit hit the bears in the head with sticks in order to get them off the quads so he can get the bait off and get the bait to the bait location. Um and so it's just mind yeah mind blowing. He said Dude, but what the a old, job. <laughs> right? That's what I said. These guys go up there for like three and a half weeks, four weeks they live in the bush up there at camp for for that amount of time. And all they do is run back and forth on quads to these locations and pull camera cards and restock bait and at the bait locations and occasionally take sit with the guys while they're hunting. Um, but these guys spend, you know, three and a half weeks, almost four weeks, same bears, you know, um, on a daily basis. And so these bears get super comfortable with these guys being there. They know that, those guys are there with food, um, and they don't pose a threat. Um, and so the younger bears are just, I mean, I hate to kind of say it cause it kind of takes the hunting out of it, but they're more so pets, trained pets than anything. Dang. Um, but the older bears, the bigger ones are a little bit more seasoned. They've probably been shot at a few times. Um, and so they're a little bit more skittish, um, but the, anyways, back to the hunt. This this phase color bear came in and ended up pushing the two smaller bears off the bait pile, um, and he fed at the bait for maybe about fifteen minutes. And then he kind of reacted the same way, picked his head up, and was looking off into the distance to my left this time. And um, and so I turned and looked, and I saw just this giant black blob kind of coming through the woods and I'm like oh my gosh I can't see a scar or a crease in his head but just by looking at the size difference like I will 100% shoot that bear if it comes in into range and uh he he came in as he made his way towards the bait the brown uh he left he was he was out of there um and then this black just kept getting closer and closer And, and then it came in about I'll say about fifteen yards it came in towards the bait. Um, but I did not have a good shot. He was quartering to me pretty heavy. Um, and once he got to fifteen yards, then I, I saw the scar and that was was pretty evident. And so I knew that this was this was the target bear. Um, and so he came in to fifteen and, and immediately pinned me. Came in Turned and looked towards the makeshift line that I made. And he knew that something was different than the last time that he was there. And so he turned and looked and pinned me. And then he just kind of stopped and turned around and started walking back out the same way he came. Didn't run or bolt or anything. and, and, And I lost him. I couldn't see him. And I was like, oh, man. Well, so much for that. And the next thing I know, he's coming in behind me. I heard a limb. I heard a limb uh, break behind me, uh, as I turn around and look and it's him. And at this point, he, he's about 15 yards away from me directly behind me and he's coming straight towards me. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't shoot him because he's facing right at me and he's closing the distance relatively quickly. And so I got down out of my chair and was just kind of s- squatted down on my feet. I had my bow in my hands and I was facing him and he just kept coming and coming and coming and uh next thing I know he's he's sticking his head inside of my makeshift ground blind I would say the inside diameter of the blind that I made was maybe four feet in diameter and so after he walked up to the edge of it and stuck his head inside he was probably within two feet Oh my Um, gosh. I could have reached out and pet him on the head. He was so close. I mean, I I couldn't turn my bow towards him. Otherwise, my arrow would have hit him in the face. That's how how close he was. (laughs) And so I'm just, I'm kind of in shock, honestly. I wasn't necessarily scared, but I was just trying to figure out, nervously trying to figure out how I was going to get him away. Um, And so I just ever so slightly kind of turned my head towards him and when i turned my head he we made eye contact he looked right at me we made eye contact and then he turned around and bolted and and ran off behind me about 20 yards or so and stopped and turned around and looked back at me and i was just you know i've i've shook in the tree stand all over some whitetail before but this level of shape it was unbelievable. I I could barely get it under control. Uh, you could hear my arrow in my dropway rest rattling between the two <laughs> posts on my on my dropway rest. That's how bad it was. And I was like, "This is this is unbelievable." And then he kind of turned and was walking uh, back out to my left, which is where the quad path was at. And I'm like, "Oh man, he, I bet you anything, he's going to come out." onto that quad path. And now that he knows that I'm here, I doubt he's gonna come back into the bait and present a shot. And so I said, I gotta, if I'm gonna shoot this thing, I gotta make it, I gotta make it happen. And so while he was about 20 yards, 25 yards out behind me in some thick brush, I quick got out of the ground blind that I made and kind of crawled down the quad path towards him on where I thought he was going to cross. And just got down on my knees in the middle of the quad path with my bow and saw that he was about to to make his way out into the quad path and drew. Um, And he stepped out onto the quad path, but it wasn't really the shot that I wanted. He was, again, quartering towards me like he was going to start walking towards me on the quad path. Um, And he took about two or three steps towards me and then figured out that I was sitting there. And I said, okay, so I'm just going to wait for him to turn and take that front shoulder and open that front shoulder up and get the vitals opened up. And sure enough, he did. He made that first step to turn around, and I sent it in right, right behind his shoulder. And at that point, he was about seven to eight yards away from me uh, when I shot him on the ground. Um, and on that one, I was a little bit more concerned on that shot. The shot placement was great. I was super pleased with that. Uh, you know, of course, at eight yards, you'd almost have to intentionally box that shot from out may. But I only got about 10 inches worth of penetration on my arrow. Um, and when I shot him, he did a complete barrel roll, uh, in which he broke the arrow off. And when he rolled, he got up and just kind of shook and and started walking off. Um, didn't run, didn't seem phased. Um and he walked about another twenty yards until I couldn't see him any longer um and that was it. I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is not good. This is not what I envisioned you know the night before you know was the perfect scenario, complete pass through, great vital shot, only went ten yards, and I watched him die. <coughs> this one that was like immediately panic mode set in, and so i I went up to the arrow uh Picked up the the remaining shaft that I had left there. There was no blood on it whatsoever. And so it broke off at the impact location. Um, and so I tracked a little bit of blood. And honestly, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't what I would have liked it to been, Um, But I did have blood in the direction that he went. And so I tracked it for about like, 15 yards. Um, and it was starting to get dark. And the guides were like, you know, if you don't see him go down, do not track him without somebody else being there. And so I used the remaining portion of my arrow, marked the last blood location, and I backed out, went and gathered my stuff together and had a, about a 35-minute hike <laughs> back towards camp with all my gear um, just to get cell phone service. And I texted the guide and said, hey, I shot the big black one. Um, did not see him go down, but I, I did have a blood trail. And so he texted me back and said yeah it's going to be about 45 minutes before i can get to you so just kind of hang tight there and so i did sat there for 45 minutes before he got there um and we went rode back in uh and by this time it was dark um rode back in and tracked blood for another about 15 20 yards and he was laying right there nice um yeah so i was uh, biggest relief i think i've ever felt in hunting and finding the animal was was that one for sure um just because the sign the sign that was did not look promising you know very little blood just a couple drops here and there um along with the uh you know not very not a very deep penetration on the the arrow impact just was screaming in the back of my head like this there's no way that you're going to find this bear it's going to go a long long way before it dies um but from the shot location to where where we found him it was probably only about 25 30 yards so it, it ended up working out good but that one that bear was about 390 pounds just under 400 pounds um in which we had to on that one since he went a little bit further into the bush we had to cut a path uh from the from the quad path with chainsaws to actually get the quad back to him um and muscle him just two of us now two 390 pound black bear up onto the back of this quad in order to get him <laughs> out of there it took us from the from the time we found him to the time we were uh actually ready to start heading back towards camp it was about two and a half hours dang man yeah yeah it was uh it was crazy absolutely nuts um so when we got him back to camp we were were able to measure him up and and sure enough he was he ended up measuring out Pope pope and young um and so he's a he's a great great black bear i've got to get his skull registered um so I can get my Polk and Young Certificate form and, and everything. So it was, it was absolutely incredible.
2: Dude, that sounds, I mean, that like I was getting giddy listening to you <laughs> tell that story. And it just sounds like the trip of a lifetime. Um, is it something that you plan on going back and doing again? Or is it one of the, like, dude, I got to experience it. It was amazing. I absolutely loved it, but I don't feel like I need to go back and do it anymore.
1: Yeah. Before we left, um, we locked down another, another week for next year. That that was the kind of trip that it was. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So, but yeah, that's the second hunt was actually the hunt that, uh, uh, in between, uh, seeing the, 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 the smaller black bears who came in in the beginning, and uh and shooting the big black um i had a, a wolf come in at about 35 yards um it was all white i mean snow white uh wolf come in and those wolves will come in once they uh once the bears start feeding on the beaver carcass the bears will kind of strip off a chunk and they'll walk it out you know 30 40 yards into the bush eat that portion and then come back and grab grab another piece and so these wolves will come in and, and pick up what, what they dropped or what they left behind. And so this, this wolf was kind of trailing some of these bears and, and picking up scraps and stuff of the beaver, um, which i would never seen a wolf in, in the wild either on a hunt. Um, so to have, have a wolf in that close proximity was, was pretty wild as well on that hunt.
2: Dude, if, if they offered a wolf hunt where I could just, like, they just go put me out in a spot let me bring a Fox pro or some type of predator call and sit. Oh my gosh. A wolf is that for a long time was number one on my bucket list was shooting a wolf. And I think that would be the coolest thing. Cause I mean, they're an apex predator like, yeah. Yeah. One-on-one black bear versus wolf, you know, bears are bigger, more powerful. But when you talk about even getting three or four wolves together, there's nothing that's going to compete with them.
1: Sure. Yeah, we actually, um, with the bear tags, um, they pull a wolf tag for all of us, um, which there is no limit on those. We can shoot as many of them as we wanted. Um, but the the way that the wolf was coming in and out and it was happening so quickly, um, you know, they they never really he never really came out in the open area. You know, they kind of he was kind of weaving in and out of brush and he stayed concealed really, really well. Um, you know, honestly, if he wasn't bright white. Um, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to follow him uh, through the woods as well as I was able to. Um, so I no, never presented a good shot um, on the wool. Um, but I definitely had another arrow knocked and was ready to send it um, if if it happened. Um, but nevertheless, it was just really cool to be, be that close and be able to glass that wolf, um, from the ground. It's Pretty cool.
2: Dude, I, I'm jealous for sure. From the day that you called me to tell me that you were going to go up there. I was like, dude, that sounds unbelievable. And then to get the calls in, in fact, I think before you and I actually talked, I don't know if your wife had posted something, but my wife was like dude i think weston got two bears and i was like hold on first off how do you know this before i know this (laughs) like this is unacceptable and i was like all right well i'll just wait for him to call i mean i'm sure between the travel coming back spending time with family i was like dan is not weston's number one priority and i'm totally (laughs) fine with that but i was eagerly waiting the call and uh yeah once you called him and shared the story with me man i i definitely want to get up there and do that at some point i in fact i've got a guy hopping on who runs a bear outfit in canada and he's co-owner of a bear outfitter and uh he's going to be on the podcast i think next week so i'm gonna i'm gonna pick his brain a little bit more about it and yeah that's going to be a trip that comes up here in the near future.
1: Yeah, man, I'll tell you, if you have the opportunity to do whatever you have to do to make it happen. Um, uh, it was just, it was a trip of a lifetime for sure. Um, and the fact that we lot, we were able to lock down another week before we left the next year, <clears throat> just counting the days until we get to go back up because um, it was just, um, it was incredible. So after, you know, I shot two, both my bears from night one and night two. Um, and so I had, you know, a- outside of that, kind of a- another mini vacation where I was just kinda hanging out at camp and I went on a set on a few other hunts with some of the other guys, some of the other buddies that I had with me that were there, um, in hopes of being able to film film them, uh, shoot their second bear. Um, but we we weren't able to connect with the right, right bear. We saw a ton more bear on those sits, but it's not the right ones that they, they wanted to shoot. Um so I actually sat three more nights after that. Um and then just kinda hung out at camp the last two nights. Um, which was great. The lake that we the lake that was right there at the trapper's cabin. Um you know another thing about Canada, which I knew, but I just I guess I didn't mentally prepare myself for it was the amount of waterfowl that's up there. Um, which Oh had, yeah, you know,
2: especially this time of year. I, I yeah. guess I wouldn't have thought about that. Going yeah. into a
1: bear hunt, but yeah. Yeah. You you know, fall hunting is my second love. And so I was just absolutely captivated with the amount of birds that were up there. And then this lake, this super remote lake out in the middle of nowhere, just, I mean, there were ducks just continually flying uh, back and forth across this lake. And so it was really cool um, just to be able to sit around the fire that was right on the edge of the lake there and sit at the fire ring and and watch these ducks go back and forth all night long until it was dark Um, it was just it was a fantastic trip in every way shape or form when you think about it Um, another really cool thing that I experienced on that trip that I'd never experienced in person before uh, was the Northern Lights Uh, we got to to see the Northern Lights uh, two nights while we were there um, and that was just that in itself was almost um, as captivating as the hunts themselves, um, which is extraordinary how how, how beautiful it was
2: Did, do you know do you know how far north you were like uh, like how far you were from the Arctic circle or even how far north you were from the u s border
1: yeah, so uh you know we were good ways north you know Alberta's kind of I don't want to say it's like in the middle of Canada, but it's kind of in the Northwestern region of Canada, I would say. Okay. Um, And we were, we were about an hour and a half north of Alberta. Um, I think like, I think the guide said if we would drove Northwest another three hours, two and a half to three hours, we would have been in Alaska. Um, Dang. So we were, we were good ways up there. Um, I've got a really cool screenshot. Um, when we made it to camp, I was able to scrounge out enough cell reception to pull up Google maps. Um, and it had I zoomed way out on the, you know, almost a globe looking, uh, view of our location. And I took a screenshot of it. Um, so I'll have to text that to you. that will give you a good reference on our location and how far north we were.
2: Dude, what what a cool trip, man. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely on my bucket list now after hearing your experience. I, Dude, I've seen one black bear in the wild, and it was on the way out of Estes Park. And so I don't even feel like it was in the wild. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, to have bear, like, I mean, the big bear at two, two feet from you poking its head inside the blind. That seems crazy. Yeah. And, yeah. and especially like these bears, yeah, they've had human encounters. But if there's only people up there at that camp for three, four weeks out of the year, you know, it's not like, like there's city bears that obviously see people constantly. But these bears are fully wild. And the only reason they're there consistently is for free food. Uh, do you, yeah. Did they say it all, because I know this is like a springtime hunt for Canada. Did they say how much weight they, uh, or what the weight differential, gosh, that's not even the right word. What is the difference between their fall weight and the spring weight?
1: Yeah, yeah. So they did say that. Um, they They try to shoot these bear as early in the spring as they can. Um, because they're still carrying, um, you know, their winter coats, uh, their coats are, are still in their winter phase. Um, actually two, two of the bears that we, that we harvested while we were there, uh, two of the other guys, um, they, the bear had huge patches on their backs, um, from where they start rubbing on trees to, to start shedding that winter coat and thinning their winter winter coat out. Um, but it's a significant amount of weight that these bears are have lost over the winter. Um, you know, sleeping in, in hibernation or whatever. Um, I want to say like to the point of like almost 150 pounds, some of them, even some of the bigger bears, almost 200 pounds. Holy that these, cow. That these, these bears shed, um, from the fall to the spring. And so my, you know, my, 390 pound bear in the spring going into the fall you know be, be 600 pounds probably yeah
2: oh dude so I just looked it up it says that bears lose between 15 to 30 percent of their body weight during hibernation
1: yeah it's wild absolutely oh wild gosh.
2: maybe I need to hibernate that would that would help my dad bod situation right now, right
1: for sure. <laughs> yeah, and dude, I could
2: I would sleep for a couple months straight if I could. I definitely would. Yeah. Um, well, dude, I don't want to take up a ton of your day, and in fact, I just got some pretty pretty awesome news. We put in an offer on a chunk of property, and it looks like it's going to be accepted.
1: Well, oh man! They awesome. countered
2: with the full price, but it's because they got another offer that was higher, and it had a clause where they basically said they would pay twenty five hundred dollars more than any other offer up to like ten thousand over asking price, yeah, because this other couple wanted it so bad, but we actually got to meet the seller. And they said they liked us so much that they would give it to us at asking instead of taking ten thousand more for it. Wow, so that's incredible! I've got a, I've got some calls to make. I've got to get a hold of my wife and share the news. I'm definitely gonna mess with her a little bit and be like, babe, I got some bad news.
1: And then I'm gonna <laughs> be
2: like, but I got even better news. Um, so, but dude, thanks for hopping on, man. And what is, what's the name of that outfitter if people want to look them up or, or find out what kind of services they offer?
1: Sure. So the outfitter that we used, um, uh, the, the outfitter name is called Rick Dishers, Alberta, uh, outdoor adventures or hunting adventures. Um, I would highly recommend them to anyone. I mean, our, our experience from when we landed in Canada to where we flew back out was just top-notch these guys do a great job all their guides are very experienced they've been doing it for a lot of years um just just the absolute stellar uh guide service um so if you are looking for that that bear experience um they also they also guide moose hunts in the fall um and so if you're looking for a canada moose hunt as well um look up rick Bishers alberta hunting adventures Um, And I I will highly, highly recommend them. And then I'll also say, too, if you if you are listening and and you live in the Florida area, central Florida area, or you're going to be traveling through um, Adventure Archery, um, they have a couple locations across the the state of Florida. Um, I've become really good friends with the guys over there. They're the ones who helped me get uh, all the upgrades done to my bow. They did it very, very quick for me um, very knowledgeable, knowledgeable bow Um, and so I would highly recommend them as well.
2: Dude. Uh, well, thanks for the recommendations for sure. I feel like anybody who listened to this episode is going to be like, Oh dude, if I go bear hunting, I'm going to go check that out. (laughs) I would like to see bears at two feet. Um, yeah, but man, yeah. What a cool, what a cool trip. And Hey, here's the deal. If you need a videographer, I know a guy who has a couple GoPros and <laughs> a handheld camera and, you know, I'm really good at helping load bears on the four wheelers. I've never done it, but I, I learn quickly. I mean, he learns quickly. Uh, yeah. So just let me know.
1: <laughs> For sure. Yeah. No, next year, you know, now that we know we're getting ourselves into, um, we, we might be able to definitely make something like that happen.
2: Yeah. I think, I think this year we need to officially get on a hunt together and wherever that is, you know, if if you come here, if I go there, if we go to South Carolina or Michigan or Wisconsin, um, but we, we've got some elk planning to do for the, the future also, maybe a couple of years out, get out together and go do an archery elk hunt. So,
1: yeah, we will definitely, before the season's over, we will definitely do it antlered animal hunt together before the season's over that is without question
2: nice man well thanks again for hopping on and for anybody who wants to follow you or maybe see some pictures from the hunt where can they go online and find you
1: sure so um i do have an instagram account out there um you can my instagram handle is wp is in philip marsh um, I will be posting a lot of video in, in my bear photos um on my Instagram page. That'll probably be the easiest way to find me. Um and then also my wife, uh, she's already got a few of my bear pictures up um on her Instagram account as well. And that's uh you can look up Carly Marsh um and, and be able to find find some pictures there as well.
2: Sweet, man. Um, I'll, I'll definitely be going back and watching those videos that you sent me again after listening to the story. Um, but dude, let's get together this fall. And yeah, until then, have fun, man. Go catch some redfish for me.
1: Sounds good, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
2: Absolutely. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. What did I tell you about an epic adventure and hunt? I mean, to have a bear literally two feet from you when you are in the middle of nowhere, nobody within sight. I mean, you have to walk a mile just to get cell service to call back to your guide, who is also in the middle of nowhere, and you encounter the biggest bear that they've seen all year long at two feet poking his head inside of your makeshift ground blind. What the heck, man? I would pay a lot of money to have that experience tomorrow. I mean, I hope to get up there, check it out. I know I've got a, a, I mentioned in the show, I've got a guy who's gonna be hopping on a call soon and stick around or be watching for that episode because he is a guide in Canada. So I'm sure he's got tons of stories like this, but that is a hunt that has to happen. I'm just saying. Even, I could see it being one that happens year after year, and one that I take my son to, but first, I wanna experience it. Also, I got a really cool invite today, and I'm not gonna share a ton about it, but it would be a very, very international trip. Not just like hopping across one border, but a full day's worth of flights, lots of customs, gun checks, I don't even know if it's possible, but, I'm going to leave that out there as a cliffhanger because if this comes together, it will be amazing, and we'll see. It might be just a family vacation where I shoot a lot of awesome animals. Either way, I hope you guys are getting out there, getting ready, planning food plots, maybe getting good news back on your tag results or your draw results. All I got were a bunch of bad results. <laughs> It was like one after the next, unsuccessful, unsuccessful, unsuccessful. I'm still waiting on my Missouri elk, my Missouri bear, and my Maine moose. Other than that, all of my Colorado licenses came back unsuccessful, but I'll still buy an over-the-counter bear and elk tag and head back out there this fall. So, until next time, get out there and chase a new adventure.